Welcome to Movie House, our final recap for The Last Dance, episode 9 and 10, coming at you right now. My name is Kieran Bergen. I'm joined with Cody Polson, the uh, Michael Jordan of the Movie House YouTube channel. Uh, Cody, how are you doing, man? I uh, don't know if that's true, but thanks for the compliment. Yeah, I, th- I feel like me and you are more of uh, Rodman's, where we kind of show up sometimes, raise hell. Right. Say say some off the cuff remarks and then we're out. Just some NWO shit. Pretty much. Yeah. Hulk Hogan and uh and Rodzilla. Um What a life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so we are, like I said, we're recapping episodes nine and ten. If you guys want to check out any of the other episodes, we've recapped them all right here on the movie uh movie house YouTube channel. So we're gonna talk about episode nine and ten. We're at a bitter end, Cody. It's bittersweet. We finally come to the end, but Damn it! What are we going to watch on TV now? I feel like my Sunday nights are going to be empty. Yeah, I, I guess I got to finally get around to Ozark or something like that. But yeah, bittersweet. Um, it, uh, it this is one for the ages. I feel like as far as kind of I don't know event television and just from a documentary standpoint, from the subject matter. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if I am talking and people are talking about it less uh, or more because of the pandemic, but either way, it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, I think maybe it's on there already uh, once it got done airing on, on ESPN. So, I mean, it'll be around for a while. Um, but yeah, what well, just a kind of a perfect timing to be honest, whether it's, um, you know, just us talking about it to each other. I, I really don't have any, anybody else in my immediate, uh, kind of life that i'm chatting in depth uh, about this with so uh definitely thankful for the podcast but um yeah just again we we've we've kind of said in the past few weeks how it seemed to be getting better and better and with the the timeline you know taking place in 98 and then jumping back we finally met up and it was the i think I mean, it was just on par with everything else. I think each episode just, again, seemed to get better and better. And uh, sad to see it go, for sure. Yeah, I feel like we're actually going to have to spend uh, time with our girlfriends now and actually be, like, respectable men in our lives because uh, Sunday nights for us, we're basically recording stuff for our other podcasts, real ones, and then literally, like, hopping off with, like, three minutes to spare to run downstairs or run wherever to, like, catch it because you just didn't want to miss – a single episode or a single moment from the episode because every single bit of content in those episodes were just really fantastic. And you were just drawn to every word that either Michael Jordan was talking about or Phil Jackson, or even like Jerry Reinsdorf, even like I was, I was like salivating over like things that BJ Armstrong was saying. It was ridiculous. Just the content you could get. And it's, it's perfect because it's everyone's far enough removed from all that to where I felt like this was a very genuine, uh, you know, piece of history we were uh, looking at in the '90s, and I mean, it, it delivered once again with um, some some new intel on, like the flu game, for example, um, and also it just reaffirmed Jordan's legacy with the shot against uh, Utah that we all all know, of course. Um, but yeah, it kind of opened the doors a bit more into his personal life and uh, we'll, we'll get into it so yeah. start us off here yeah so let's go ahead we're going to dive right in here start off with episode nine and 
really the episode more or less it starts with the Pacers Bulls uh, finals uh, series from 98 uh, conference finals that is and it mm-hmm. really opens up with Reggie Miller getting underneath Michael Jordan's uh, skin enough to where he looked like he was trying to like scratch his eyeballs out at one point like it looked like the mountain versus uh, Pedro Pascal's character in season four of Game of Thrones like just was going straight right. for the eyes the Viper that's one of the only times and Michael even said it the hardest team that he's played against since the Detroit Pistons teams of the late 80s early 90s right because they were able to get under Michael's skin and I was just like really impressed with the fact they got like Reggie Miller on here and Reggie's talking about how Michael told him to call him black Jesus and things like that. Like their relationship going from wanting to kill each other to like, they're dapping each other up in the, after the post game press conferences. Well, I think, I think Miller, he was always one of my favorite players to watch. Um, He's the first, he may be the first uh, like favorite player I had. Cause I I was always a fan of kind of the um, skinnier three point shooters. I mean, comparatively. Right. Uh, And then he, had that same attitude as Michael. So he was very captivating to watch. Um, you know, they had Jalen Rose as well. And uh, Smits, who I always thought just looked like he shouldn't be on the court, but <laughs> yeah, apparently he was pretty solid. Um, Chris Mullen yeah, like, looked like he was like, just like a 50, 50 year old dad trying to buy a Ferrari somewhere. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if like genetically, uh, basketball players just seem to look more like basketball players in 2020 but back in the 90s it feels like we had some just like farm hands that were stepping out on the court and somehow they made a dairy farm who lifted uh just like crates of milk and they're like hey you look strong enough to rebound over dennis Rodman." right Right. shoots a milk bottle into a crate and they're like wow you know (laughs) here's 10 million (laughs) dollars uh but no uh it was again like this ser- this series is so compelling. It's it's almost like not enough. Like I I'd love more in depth breakdowns um, about the individual series a bit more, you know. But since we're telling uh, such a large piece of history over such a small, you know, relatively time frame of just uh, you know it's almost twenty years in in what ten hours probably once you get rid of the commercials it whittles down to like eight or nine yeah um but yeah I, it, again like it, it makes you appreciate what he went through because a lot of people think it was very easy for jordan to just be at, on top so good but man that the physicality is really that can that can shake you i mean i i've been on a binge of videos on youtube of like mcdonald's fights breaking out and uh, or, you know, any kind of like public brawl where it's just like, it's hilarious, but I'm, and scary at the same time. But, you know, those are like non athletes, right? Just getting beat to a pulp uh, with Detroit. And then you see like Malone and, and, and Rodman tasseling. And then um, uh, more like episode, episode 10. But just the physicality of it, I think, is what I'm, I'm really kind of like. I knew it was a different game back then, but it's so nice to get more footage of that, more in-depth interviews regarding the specifics of what they were dealing with in those, you know, those battles, particularly that seven game conference final series. What's like fascinating to me though, 
is, you know, this is 98 and Jordan and Reggie get in a fight and Jordan connects straight up with a punch. Now, I mean, it's yeah. not like a super big punch, but he connected fist to Reggie's face and neither one of them got suspended. They were back yeah. for the next game. Like 2020, like that dude is out for like at least one game of the NBA finals. Gone. It's like hockey rules. Uh, yeah, what Draymond kicked a guy in the nuts and then and he missed. Yeah. And he missed the next a game. game. Probably cost the Warriors a championship that year. To be honest, yeah. It, but that's the kind of antics we're up to now. Like <laughs> even um even LeBron, like there's there's footage of him like flopping to get the call, you know. Right. And I don't, I don't like to point out uh the, the style of play uh so much in, in this day and age because every player does it. So we can't really call out one player and not call out another, you know, but See, we I grew up on on that kind of style of basketball, so um, it just makes it way more intriguing. You know, it, uh, imagine it's like watching the Avengers, uh, you know, fighting. Whereas I feel like uh, today's game is almost like a uh, oh, I don't know, what's a what's a comparison where they are fight, but they don't really hit each other too much, and in the end, they're all friends. I have no clue. Maybe more like you, uh you and me fighting probably yeah <laughs> one slap each and then then we're good have a brew but, yeah yeah i mean uh this this first episode um again i just want to see i want to see more of the the series like it, it just jumps in time and that's kind of one small criticism <clears throat> criticism i have of the series at times is we're jumping back and forth it's you got to kind of reset your mind as to what in that particular instance, Jordan has experienced up to that point and is going through for that particular series and, and, or, you know, just life events. Um, but no, I mean, uh, other than the Miller stuff, that was kind of the standout of that episode nine for me. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Reggie, Reggie is an all-time trash talker, just like how Michael is. And so you get two trash talkers going at each other. They're going to absolutely end up probably scrapping up with each other. But the, uh, the, the series eventually kind of moves along towards the 97 uh, finals and kind of transi- transitioning towards Steve Kerr. And we kind of find out his kind of background as a basketball player, you know, not really highly recruited, it's barely a scholarship to Arizona kind of goes into his family life and this was something i didn't even really know but i guess how much do you ever really know about steve kerr but his father was basically like you know this president in a foreign country and just gets shot in the head and you know just like that like in a sense relatable to michael but i found it very interesting that they never even really talked about it like both their fathers murdered um and they never really kind of connected over it they just connected over basketball essentially yeah, you'd think if there was one thing to connect two players, it'd be a similar, you know, tragic incident involving their fathers. But I think Steve Kerr even mentioned it in this episode that Michael was just on another planet, essentially, just with what he had to deal with. Um, like uh, Steve Kerr was a celebrity in his own right. If you're on the Bulls, you know, in, in the 90s, you're going to be uh well known to a degree but i think uh i think it's a combination of michael just he he found solace in like his security guy 
he had who he needed to have to move past that and to refocus and, you know, just keep winning and winning and focus on basketball. I don't know how really open you can be, even if you do have something similar like that with somebody, especially someone you've kind of just met in the last couple of years, um, who is a supporting role. I don't know. Uh, I feel like my, Michael maybe could have bonded with Steve Kerr, but perhaps, again, he had that father figure and, and that security guard, and that was enough for him. And he just didn't want to dwell so much with his teammates with that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it seems like Michael wasn't very – yeah, like they, they hung out and, and, you know, gave each other shit, like teammates, not just – Kerr, but like uh, the whole team, you know, they right. they did team like things that you'd you'd imagine players doing. But I don't know if he was ever that like open with them in general. You know, I think he very much uh, saw it as a job, and he wanted to be the very best at his at his job. He had his family life, and then all that separate. Yeah, and it's weird how you know, two big tragic events for these guys and they, the way they kind of handled it, Steve Kerr kind of talks about, you know, his father dies, passes away and he basically dives into ba- basketball. He just yeah gets consumed by the game. Michael's dad dies and he basically gave up the game, went to baseball, tried something new. And I, there were other circumstances that led to Michael going to baseball. I think he was kind of just burnt out at a certain point, but this happens and it's just basically the final push to make him go to ba- to baseball while Steve Kerr dives into basketball. Like I was saying, finally, uh, you know, not drafted very high, you know, kind of goes from team to team here. And he kind of looks at John Paxton who had been playing with them in the, the first title runs. And he looks and he's mm-hmm. like, that's where I got to get to. I got to get on that team. And Paxton right. kind of, um, you know, trains him and kind of shows him, Hey, this is the way you deal with Michael. This is the way this offense works and such. And, Steve Kerr basically becomes a not necessarily a household name, but among role model players, uh, role players, he basically just kind of fits the mold of what they needed. And, you know, now he's, you know, went on to play with the Spurs and he became a TNT analyst. Now he's a coach. He's won world championships and stuff. And so now everybody knows Steve Kerr, but he just like Steve Kerr was very good at just picking his spots, whether it was going to a team and playing with Michael Jordan or picking the spot of, I need to be here in this position for when Michael gets, you know, double teamed, which leads to him hitting the, uh, essentially the game winning shot in uh, the 97 finals. And uh, that was what championship four that Michael won, where he came off of his dad passing away. Yeah. So they, you know, one in 96 against the, the supersonics and that was his fourth title. And then back to back against the, and that was, that was Kerr's first year with the bulls or uh, second. Uh, so Kerr's first year playing with Jordan though. First year playing with Jordan, but he played with that uh the the he was on the two teams. He joined the team after Jordan's first retirement. He was on the team gotcha. where Scotty wouldn't go back in the game and stuff like that. And so. Yeah, I think Jordan um like you saw that emotion pour out of him uh, on the audio from it after winning his fourth title. Yeah. I think that was kind of like he he was healed in a sense uh of the tragedy and then moving forward from that um uh, gosh it, it, i mean I, steve kerr was obviously very clutch in that game winning shot you mentioned that's when like michael said he got his wings essentially i was like damn took him <laughs> I was, 
like four seasons to five seasons. The man has three to with win Michael you the to NBA get his finals off a final, like a final shot buzzer beater, essentially to get his wings. You finally yeah. earned your role, Steve. You earned your spot on the team. I was like, I what liked the fuck, how, uh, man? I was here when you weren't. I liked how Michael was trying to be subtle, like on the bench and, you know, kind of essentially be like, I'm going to pass you the ball when I'm doubled. And Kerr was just like, I got it. I'll be right here. I'll be ready. <laughs> the blessing. Christmas vacation reference. It's just funny. Steve Kerr, he cracked me up in the, in the whole episode. Um, he seems like a, I don't know. He seems like a good guy to be around. Like maybe a bit easier to be around than, than Michael, but I feel like he's got an edge to him as well. You know? Yeah. Um, like he talks shit to you, but uh, at the end of the day, um, yeah, good, good teammate, good supporting player. Um, and one of those that he was an all American, I believe uh, at Arizona, right. A really, really talented player in college, but I think one you didn't, expect to say that guy's going to be a great spot up shooter um i've got to have him just interesting to see where his career took him obviously winning uh at san antonio the year after the last dance and then obviously went on to coach the warriors so yeah um it seems like a lot of a lot of uh most of this documentary has been made up of players more and more coaches that have all this success and they have like a direct link to Michael Jordan. There's those that he stopped from having a lot of success, like your Charles Barkley or your Patrick Ewings. But then all these other players around him uh, just seem to feed off of his energy, his leadership and, and his raw talent and hard work and all that. And you mentioned, you know, like you said, guys who Jordan playing in the nineties basically hindered their, careers in a way of winning championships and you mentioned like Barkley and Ewing and another one was Carl Malone who won the 97 uh NBA MVP which you could just tell I just knew when they when they brought that up that Michael was going to use that as just the smallest slight he's like I love how he's just like listen you can think that he he was the MVP he had a good season that's great for him but I'm going to use that to my advantage and I think that season I've been listening to like, you know, plenty of podcasts about those nineties bulls and stuff like that. And it was the time people were kind of, some people were confused. Like why is Carl Malone winning? And I think it was, we're giving Jordan all these MVPs and yeah, he's the best player every single year, but let's give it to somebody else. Let's give it to Carl Malone. He had a great year. Um, when it's kind of like LeBron, I always feel like LeBron deserves to win the MVP every single year because he mm-hmm. just does so many things that, uh, you know, Giannis great score, but, so is LeBron, and he's also like a great assist maker, rebounder. The man's like a walking triple-double. So I right. always feel like LeBron should win it every single year, but they don't want to give it to him six or seven straight years, which he probably deserves. But A lot of people thought Kobe deserved many more MVPs as well. Yeah. feels yeah. like that's Kobe only won one part of the game. One yeah. MVP, which is ridiculous. But um, Jordan's stats, I think he had more assists that year. Um, they Malone's were a bit more like just barely higher overall. So I didn't really have that much of a, I guess, issue with it. I don't know if they had the best record that year or not. Maybe it was the jazz before. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I I guess I don't really like have a hot take on Carl Malone MVP numbers. Yeah. You think you'd think, I mean, with it being 
the last dance and blah, blah, blah. Everyone knew about this final season, obviously from the beginning of the year, you'd think that people would like give Jordan this one as well, just because it's the final run and he was still playing as good as he ever was. But maybe the MVP voters just got tired of Jordan winning. I don't know. Or perhaps they knew that there was no goddamn way that Malone was going to overcome Jordan in the finals. And they're like, well, we'll we'll give him a MVP. Why not? I mean, uh, Barkley won the MVP, right? In 93. Yeah. Yeah. He won the MVP. I think uh, maybe it's subconscious, but maybe people are, are giving MVPs to these players that they know will destined to never win the title. (laughs) <laughs> or another uh, player's dominance. No, you're right. And and this uh this episode goes into one of my personal like favorite Jordan games, the flu game, or mm. as that's what it is called, it's more like the food poisoning game, but it just doesn't have the same ring as the flu game. And I always was under the interpretation that it was sushi that he ate. I always heard it was sushi, that he ate sushi in Utah, and mm. that's what gave him uh food poisoning. But I didn't know it was pizza. So to hear it was like pizza was like quite shocking to me. And like that whole story is just like wild. I just want to know like from the pizza um, parlor position on like what they actually did to make Jordan sick. Like was it just like bad meat? Did they actually put something on the pizza that would make you like sick of some sort? Like I'm just like very curious on like that whole – story of and like five guys just rolling up to the hotel door very odd yeah you can either take that like they knew where michael was staying and then just wanted to roll up and just to get a glimpse at him to see him perhaps get an autograph they really didn't delve into the details too much um i saw some funny photoshop images of like malone and stockton space (laughs) over a couple pizza delivery guys right um and then you hear that Jordan was, excuse me, uh, spitting on the, the, the pizza so the other people wouldn't eat it as well. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, apparently he uh, he spat on the pizza because he alone wanted to eat it. God. Yeah, I, I listened to that. Uh, I was, uh, whoever the commentator was on ESPN today uh, while I was eating dinner, and I was like getting sick thinking about it, and so I just quickly pause the video and uh and finish my my meal but yeah um i feel like it's gonna always be known as the flu game first and foremost because you're right it, it does a have a much better i guess uh flow off the tongue yeah but i mean that is just highly suspect right oh, five yeah. guys showing up kumail nanjiani had an awesome uh tweet essentially he was like um, okay, the we got the pizza poison. Now to make sure it, it is delivered, let's send our five best guys. You know, to make sure nothing goes wrong or uh, something to that extent. Just uh, I saw where DiGiorno's, uh They had like a tweet, and they were like, "Delivery pizza, huh? Makes yep. sense." And yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. like, "Man, DiGiorno's Twitter just absolutely capitalizing on." Uh, it's like the only reason for, that I enjoy Twitter anymore. It's like when you when you read a DiGiorno tweet or a Wendy's, it can come in hot. You know, quite often. Those uh, but, those uh, interns at the at the brand reps just just crushing it on Twitter. But I mean that again, it just goes to show you like, and a lot of a lot of factors going into today's game and today's players. 
but at the end of the day, um, I think it does come down to what the player wants. And uh, Michael wanted to play every second of every game, no matter how he felt. And uh, that you, you can't, I mean, you, what, what can you argue against that? I mean, when you see that in somebody, I mean, it's awe-inspiring. And uh, when you make these, like, greatest player comparisons, which we'll, I'm sure, touch on at the you know, end of this uh, current po- episode, Ron, um, I feel like that has to be part of the conversation, you know, that, uh, that willpower, because it's, it's just uh, it's infectious, you know, and it's, it is rare, I think, rarer than most would think in professional sports. Yeah, and you look at those, like, the shots of the game and stuff like that, like, he looks like shit. Like, he looks like he's going to fall down on the floor at any minute and just, like, shrivel up and die because he was just miserable in that game. And, like, he dug down deep into whatever competitive nature that Michael Jordan has inside of him and was just like, I'm going to will this team to this Game 5 victory. And... I, I've always loved the iconic shot of him like holding on to Pippen as they walk towards the bench. I just it's one of my favorite like yeah. MJ moments because it's him and Scotty together essentially, and it's it's up there for me with my top three. If I was giving my my top three like Jordan moments ever, it's probably in some order the flu game, his final Bulls game, and then the shrug. I just love the visual of like the shrug of destroying Clyde Drexler and those uh, Portland Trailblazers. But right, right. it's just a wild story. Like the idea of LeBron, he's getting ready for a finals game. 1030 at night, he gets hungry, which what the fuck? There's not a McDonald's, like a 24-hour McDonald's in Utah. Like do they just not believe in like a 24-hour drive through or something? Different times, I guess. I, I don't know if 24-hour restaurants were as uh... – God common like from a mcdonald's standpoint anyway i mean jesus at like 11 30 you can go and roll up to the a taco bell and just go grab some grub like you know what makes me uh makes me feel you know jordan has a personal reach i feel like on a lot of a lot of people we grew up in the 90s but uh, a lot of people in general but uh for me personally just my everyday life you know i i fancy myself to have athleticism to a degree i like to run you know i can play basketball tennis whatever uh, but I eat like shit. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I drink and I don't party as often anymore, but it's nice that I kind of feel validated for how I've gone about my life all these years because that's what Jordan pretty much did. You know, he worked out, worked hard, practiced, but then he just fucking ate like shit when he wanted to. Uh, and not Trained, all the time, obviously. Smoked drank, cigars. Smoked, gambled. Uh, he lied and cheated and, and stole the best, you know, like like Eddie Guerrero. Um, the goat. Had to sneak in a WWE reference in there. And then uh, also when that that interaction with him and Larry Bird, uh, which I I've seen conflicting uh, arguments. I thought it was him that said this to Bird. He was like, "Fuck you, you bitch," or something like that. Yeah, you bitch. Fuck you. He says that. Michael says that to to Bird. And I was like. Well, that's how I that's how I talk to like Kieran, you know. That's how I talk to a lot of friends. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're like, you know, if someone's having like an off day, where you're like, was I too kind of harsh there? Did they? Did they? You know, maybe should I have dialed it back? And it's like, no, true friendship. You can 
tell somebody you respect and and like to be around uh fuck you you know you're a piece of shit and larry bird larry bird alongside michael and reggie is one of the greatest trash talkers in the nba history this man just destroyed not only his own teammates but alongside those uh opponents that he faced and I don't think I don't think Larry Bird when he was walking out of the arena that night was upset that Michael Jordan called him a bitch. I think he was probably upset that they lost Game Seven. Of right. the well, he was coming to uh, to uh, say, um, say like, congratulations. Say congratulations. Yeah, and I uh, um, I like that Malone moment as well when he went to the the. Bus. Yeah, I think that takes uh, takes some balls, you know, to you know be a leader, go congratulate the uh, right the champions. Um, but yeah, I felt I felt especially validated this episode. Uh, now, would I have played the flu game? Um, probably fucking. Would I have raced uh, in college while sick? Absolutely not. Would have slept in. Would have skipped the fucking meet. Would have been at home playing Halo. That's the difference between uh, Jordan and I. But it was nice to to see. Oh, I I live kind of similarly, uh, and I am kind of an asshole sometimes, and it's okay. It's uh. It's the love of the game, Cody. I think that track wasn't your love, but if it came time to do a podcast, you'd be there if you were sick or not. Throwing up off camera, you're just love of the game. You'd grind. Well, that's uh, that's kind of our style anyway. Like, uh, No matter how shitty it is, which it, it always is, we put something out there for people to enjoy, hopefully. Exactly. So it only, it only gets better if it gets worse. So we'll move on here to episode 10 now. And a lot of the focus of this one was the 98 finals against the Jazz. They rematch. But the first part of it focuses more on the Chicago team getting pushed to game seven by the Indiana Pacers, Reggie Miller, and they force game seven. And I love like the the initial like Jordan, we're gonna we're gonna win. Um we're not gonna lose game seven and uh, i just love right. like his level of confidence of like we're going into game seven and we're gonna win because these guys the thing i picked up most in this last two episodes were by the time we got to end of 98 these guys were just fried i mean they were right. done they, mentally physically they were all just breaking down and i think a lot of other teams where you had this hot upstart team maybe the best team in the eastern conference of the indiana pacers right like you look at that team and it's the wounded dog theory. You're just like that, that wounded mm-hmm. dog over there. They've been a lot of San Antonio been, was good. Um, yeah. Uh, New York was really good as well. Allen right. Houston right. Orlando well and stuff uh, still had Shaq and, and Penny. And I believe at the time, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Maybe Shaq had left the year before previous, but it's that wounded dog. You just look at Chicago and you're like, these guys are done. They're fried. They're going to lose game seven. This is the way they're going to go out. They're not going to, die by their own hand of the front office they're going to die by giving validation that it's time to break up the the roster and they didn't do that they came out and they just played their ass off and beat a really 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 good indiana pacers team i think it's i think it's super easy to to say that they could have won seven and eight uh you know and or at least the seventh one after that year or they could have won in the middle um, years where Jordan was playing baseball. But to me, like, that's when you're only looking at the 6-0 and record and not all the other variables at play. I think... I think to... Uh, I think they would have definitely had three. Um, 
they may not have had any more if, if Jordan didn't take that mental break uh, and, you know, take that time that he needed. Um, they may not have had this final title without knowing it was the last time. You know, Jordan's going to bring it, but I feel like knowing it's your last ride, there's just something extra you're going to give, even if it's like 1%, like everybody all around. Especially with yeah, you going into like a free agency market, right? Like, you know, you're going into free agency, like Scotty, right? Scotty's going to free agency. So he's trying to get as much possible money as possible. Yeah. He, Michael was making like 33 million, I think, that yeah, year. And, deals, and yeah. was making like three or something. Something along those lines. Yeah. It's like pathetic, you know? And, uh, and like Rodman uh, saw a stat where he played like maybe 30, 40 games for the rest of his career after this season. Yeah. Um, I don't think you get the effort from him if it's not known to be this is the final year of the Bulls, you know. I'm talking like very, very little percentages now, but that's what, you know, they took everything they had to to top the the jazz. Um and you really couldn't have painted a, a better ending. Uh Jordan you know, getting the layup, stealing the ball from Malone, hitting that iconic final shot, which he did not push off. I never thought that looked. Uh, I I actually agree with you. Momentum. Uh, you truly couldn't have painted a, a better uh, picture to to for Jordan to you know go out with with the Bulls. Um, I think the uh, the next best like story we've had in the decade uh, decades since is LeBron coming back to Cleveland and winning. Um, but yeah, it just again, I, it's easy to make the argument six and zero could have won more. But uh, with everything, everything going on, uh, all the internal struggles and just them being worn down, I think it was the right time to break up the band. Can we take a second to like talk about uh, Brian Russell, who, when Jordan is playing baseball? And he sees him at the practice facility and he's just talking shit to Jordan. He's like, why did you retire, man? You retired because you knew I could shut you down and all this. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I don't care if you never think Michael Jordan's coming back. Like you were on his list, as he said, for the rest of your career that he's going to go out and just try to publicly embarrass you as a player. And even like Reggie said that Reggie said he started talking shit. He had a good first half against Michael early in his career and in the second half, he didn't score, I think, or maybe scored like two points, and Michael scored a whole lot. Like, why? Right. Like, that's the thing I'm taking away from this. Why are dudes talking shit to Michael Jordan? I just don't understand. So, some players like Miller can back it up, uh, but others, yeah, it's almost like they're an internet troll in today's age, where it's like, why are you even bothering? Right. Um, you're just gonna, yeah. Uh, who knows? At least they, um, I guess, maybe got some more, more notoriety because of. Uh, Maybe, you know, then this doc now, but I just love that. Like, that's like the funniest thing to me still, where now I'm imagining Jordan just, you could be sitting in a room with him, not saying a word. And he just like imagines you're talking to him that you're trying to pick a fight. And he just like holds that fucking grudge against you. This is great. And what I love about that final game that Michael plays is Scotty's hurting. Scotty really is not going to add much to the game. He's hurting his back. He's having to go back and forth between the training staff to, you know, kind of get stretched out and work so he can play five minutes here, take out five minutes. 
Michael very early on in that game, he realizes he's like, holy shit, I don't, I'm not going to have Scotty. Like I had him. And he basically like plays out in his mind that I need to pace myself at this point. Like I need to yeah. make sure I have enough energy at the end of the game to uh, get us across the finish line of sorts. Like I read where Michael refused, if you watch that game, that he refused to like dribble the ball because he just felt like he was going to take energy to dribble the ball instead of just running up normally. Um, he kind of picks his spots. Like I watched that game before the series started because we were in quarantine and there was nothing on. I was like, cut on some old Michael Jordan games. And sure. he like he just takes like moments off, but he knows when to turn it back on. Like in the second quarter, it looks like the Jazz might start pulling away from him at one point, and he just starts snapping and going off, getting to the rim and such. It was like the the culmination of Michael Jordan realizing that I don't really have the physical prowess and athleticism that I had early in my career, so I have to use my mind to basically pick my spots and like a, like a boxer, like Ali back right. in the day fighting George Foreman. Um, Cause his uh, legs were gone. Uh, yeah. And then when he needed them, bam, they were there. Exactly. And so then he's able to hit that iconic shot. And then, I mean, unfortunately for like somebody like Carl Malone, who is like one of the great power forwards of all time. Um, you, I, even though I'd still take Barkley over Malone just as like a player, but you know, he gets the ball stolen from him at the the very final uh, moments of the game. And, like, that's a lot mm. of, like, what his legacy is left at as a guy who got the ball stolen and wasn't able to finish off the Bulls in the biggest games of his career. I did like that about Miller where uh, he was like, I'm going to, like, end Michael Jordan's uh, <laughs> career, essentially. I just love it. I love him as a commentator as well. Um. What do you think about, uh, and we can, uh, you got the list there of topics, but I was going to eventually transition to the argument for best uh, player of all time. And like an 09 interview with Michael Wilbon, uh, Jordan said he doesn't like that comparison because you never, from his perspective, you never know, you know, it's, you can, you can point and say he was better than Barkley, Malone, all those players he played against, but like your Oscar Robertsons and your LeBron Jameses, it's you're never going to really know. So it's kind of a mute argument. Uh, what do you think about one, the argument? Is it something that's fair uh, in general? And uh, two, if you had to maybe give me your kind of top three or five, um, I don't have a list prepared, so I'm going to have to on the fly. Neither uh, do I. Give mine. Where would, where would Jordan land for you before and after this doc? Yeah. So. I think the whole argument of like greatest of all time, it's probably like unfair. Uh, It's probably an unfair argument just because like different eras. It's hard to like think of how would Shaquille O'Neal play against Wilt Chamberlain? Well, there's no way to ever know that because Wilt played against different guys than Shaq and Shaq, uh, the game style of game was different than maybe what he played in the nineties. So there was different physical elements. Like I keep hearing this argument of what if you took the 96 bulls and you played them against, um, the 17 Golden State Warriors. Well, I'm sure the Bulls, if they had no, if they just took a time machine and played the, the 17 Warriors, like I'm sure it would be totally different because they're like, holy shit, this team is shooting like, like 25 three pointers a game. How are we competing with this? But they'd be they'd be getting called fouls on them because they'd realize they're getting dusted from three. Yeah, and then they'd start being physical, and then they get they get fouls. All these yeah. uh, ticky tack fouls, as Jordan would say. 
right. called hand check rule and stuff like that. But yeah. I think if you gave Michael Jordan and those Bulls like three months to basically adapt to the game, Michael Jordan would learn how to shoot three pointers better. And so would you know, you would add more players like Steve Kerr and John Paxton and such. So it's just hard to like compare people from different eras, but we do it because we're a, uh, just a modern society who loves to make lists and rankings and such like that. Michael mm-hmm. was always the best player for me of all time before this documentary and, and afterwards. Um, he, to me, like he personified just winning and doing everything that it costs to win. And whether it was scoring, whether it was being like the best, def- the best perimeter defender in the, uh, in the league, whether it was. So to uh, you that the accolades accolades matter more than anything, right? The six and O the, the defensive players of the year, the, the MVPs. Right. Yeah. And boring titles. But like, to me, it was like, it's also those like intangible things. Like Michael never had, a LeBron in 2011 moment where LeBron just looked like he didn't know what he was doing against the Dallas Mavericks. Right. He never, I felt like was the reason why his teams lost where like, I think like a LeBron in 2010, they should have beaten the Celtics in 2011. They should have beaten the the Dallas Mavericks and things like that. Uh, LeBron's great. LeBron's a top five player for me. Absolutely. And if I'm making my list right now, I'd probably have like Michael one, probably magic two. LeBron, three, um, probably somebody along the lines of like a maybe like a, a Wilt Chamberlain and then maybe like a Kobe Bryant to round it out. Um, if I'm just doing it off the top of my head right now, I feel like I'm leaving somebody out, but um, that's just off the top of my head. What about you? Yeah, so I, I thought he was also the best. Um, everything you just mentioned, I essentially agree with. I, I, I I definitely uh, account victories, you know, titles, uh, and, and scoring titles, and and all those um, all those variables into the ranking. But I also it also matters to me what again like style of play is going on in that particular era, kind of where you fall on the list. So like for me, a Bill Russell, he's got to be in the top five just because of how many titles he won. I would actually put him five and then I'd go. Uh, and this is highly uh, biased because I know Kobe's lower on a lot of lists than uh, than um, mine. And, and I guess you put him at five, right? Right. I'd put him four um, and then Magic, uh, LeBron, MJ. Okay. As my my top five. Actually, I, I do want to change that because I I did feel like I did m- miss something out. Um, I want to put it as Michael, Magic, LeBron, Kareem, then Kobe. Fair. And I maybe like I, I I think probably I do have Kobe too high. He he probably is more like a six or a seven, and like Wilt probably should be ahead of him. But damn it, like Kobe just impacted like my life as like an NBA fan probably more than. Right. Wilt was Wilt changed the game. Wilt changed the rules of the way that get the game was played. Um, right. Is is he a better physical specimen specimen than somebody like Russell? Absolutely, absolutely. Was he a better player? 
like technically yes probably better than russell but like he didn't have like the fire in the belly right that russell had russell Mm -hmm. has like that michael jordan competitive nature that will just ever had a lot of people would still put cream as the best of all time um for me it's just hard to for me it's hard to argue against jordan being one i think like two through seven eight nine ten can you are interchangeable based on what variables matter the most to you as a fan. I mean, Kareem, to me, he's the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He has six MVPs, um, I think six titles, I I think five or six at least. And he's just, I mean, just one of the dominant players. I'm looking up Kareem's uh, stats here really quick. Let me take Four a look. Four titles? Uh, I'm looking at like ESPN had their like top 74 players of all time. And so Kareem, 24 points a game, 11 rebounds, three, uh, three assists per game. He won six MVPs, uh, six. I got, I was thinking four. No. Yeah. He won six championships, 19 time all-star. He's just, in my opinion, like the, like, and he gets forgotten. I think because he's not like the flashiness of like dominance of a Shaquille O'Neal or Hakeem Olajuwon, or he doesn't yeah. have as many titles as Russell, or he didn't score hundred points like Wilt, but damn it. Kareem was like really fucking good. And so I'm, I'm going to put him on my top five. Um, before we head out, Cody, let's talk about the way that the team kind of ended and broken up. Um, they win their title. They go and they have their parade or their, championship basically like concert if you will where you know steve kerr is getting up and talking michael's getting up and talking and they get to the point where they basically offer phil a way to come back and phil kind of turns it down and i kind of understood where he was coming from it was like you know yeah like you're giving me this now but you know it's a little little bit too late i'm kind of burnt out jerry doesn't want me there jerry Krause. You know, these guys are probably all moving along. It's going to be a rebuild regardless if I'm here or not. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think this, the, the fate of the team was sealed essentially when the season started. And you said it doesn't matter what Phil Jackson does. If he wins 82 games, he's not going to be the coach next year. What did you guys yeah, make I mean, of like the way that hole was talked about and everything with Scotty and Michael and everybody? Like, again, it's easy to say, uh, when you when you're winning, um, and then you you just are fresh off a, a title, it's easy to you know want to come back and believe you can do it again. But uh, to play a whole entire season when a relationship's been strained for years, knowing that you could like that's just like gosh, that a terrible thing to say to hear. Um, you could win every game and you're not coming back. Um, like who, what sane person would want to stay and deal with that you know right everyone uh, that's why everyone you know leaves their job because it's not always about pay or um and, and all that it's it's do you like who you're working for um in addition to what it is you're doing right um yeah i mean if if you didn't have like a lot of players now like uh, steph and and clay were underpaid for years um it happens a lot uh, now in this game, but people forget that it happens for the, pretty much the entire Bulls run. You know, Michael was underpaid his whole career. Um, obviously, Scotty was. Really, most of their you know top players were. Um, 
I kind of placed the blame mostly on the owner because you can kind of handle shit if you need to. I agree. Um, I mean, Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban does like, like he's at, at every game. He's like vocal. He's, he's in it to win it and he gives a shit and he's going to do what he needs to do to get that done. You know, not afraid to make any kind of big choices. Um, like Avery Johnson won a title with him and then he got uh, let go a couple of years Coach after of the that. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's, it's, the writing was just on the wall, you know, it's like everything was kind of coming together naturally that way, but also because people were pushed in that direction on their, their own. And it just was the right time for the bulls to, to end uh, because of all, you know, players being underpaid, broken down, being told it's the last dance relationships, strange just coming to a breaking point. It made sense. Um, that a logic behind the lack of a relationship and, and lack of like wanting to keep them together maybe won't make sense to most people. I mean, I, I still, it's hard for me to, to figure out why when you just pay these people, why when you get a new GM, uh, if you don't like how he connects or doesn't connect with your coach, if Phil wants to be gone, you know, um, the owner could have whatever his name is. I always forget. Ryan's Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf. Yeah, Reinsdorf. Could have got a young, uh, successful coach in there with Michael. It it could have been worked out, but perhaps all parties involved, no matter what they kind of maybe said in the moments, felt that it was time that it all needed to go. I uh, I firmly believe the way that Bulls team was constructed at the end of '98, going into '99, if they brought everybody back bring back Rodman, bring back Pippen, Phil, Michael. You, uh, I just don't believe they would have won the title in 99. They looked shot. They looked like their legs were done at the end of 98. Uh, and if you look into 99, the NBA lockout happens, and the first half of the year essentially is gone, and they essentially played 50 games in three months. Right. And it's all compact. And so – Older teams around that time were just not benefiting from it. I mean, that was a year where the 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 Knicks made the NBA Finals out of nowhere, and yeah. you're, you're telling me like San Antonio's coming on where they got Tim Duncan and they got a uh, uh, David Robinson, and so that's that's those are guys there. I just don't know how that that front line because Rodman was done. I mean, like you said, he played like thirty something games at the end of his career. Like he was done. He was out of there. Um, Pippen's kind of falling apart. His back's aching him. He doesn't really do much when he leaves the Bulls, much more or less. The one thing I do think is because Michael didn't want to come back to the Bulls because Phil was around, the way that NBA salary caps worked around that around that time was different than how it is now. Now it's the deal of like Kevin Durant. He's becoming a free agent. Let's get all of our big contracts out of here. We'll yeah. we'll take a a bad contract for one year just so we can get like three year. A, a semi bad contract for three years out of here because that one year is going to expire and we can have cap space to get Michael Jordan or somebody like that or Kevin Durant as I was saying. Right. Maybe teams just didn't think about that at that time, like the late nineties, like they basically were just like, we're, we need to use up our salary cap and keep our guys on contract. And 
So when Michael left, he really just didn't have anywhere that he could go for what he was getting. You could say, yeah, he could take in like a, a veteran's minimum and sign with like the Knicks or something like that. But Michael deserved $30 million, like especially if he wants to go to a good team and win. So mm. I do think they should have somewhere, someone somehow should have found a way to keep Michael Jordan in the league for like two more years at least. Um, he was like 35 yeah. at the end of the, the 98 season, 35, 36. He could have gone and played until he was 38. Um, yeah he came back a bit too late for his uh final couple of years and yeah you see um so, do you do you I, wish that the series obviously it's called the last dance that's the main focus but we did tell the story of how michael got there did you want a little epilogue as far as him coming back like his reasoning for joining the wizards and um him owning a team i feel like that's something that would have uh taken the focus away from this particular documentary but also i don't know if you know michael had to say on if he this got released i don't know if he would have wanted that portion of his career associated with this particular story i think that it would have been okay for them to talk about his desires to be part of the bulls ownership and that the bulls Mm -hmm. essentially said no we're not going to let you be part ownership of the team that's why he had to go be an owner of the the wizards and he came back and he played the wizards i do think that that could have been okay i do think you're right like you know taking a 20 second 30 second look at him playing the wizard as the wizards um you know basically didn't really necessarily like it didn't show steve kerr playing on the, the spurs it didn't show scotty playing on the rockets and the the trailblazers and things along those lines i think it was the the, the ending was the 98 and where those guys essentially went off to and i think it all worked out fine so i i like the way it kind of ended me too can we uh can we just take a, we we forgot to talk about a quick second just talk about like dennis rodman going and being part of uh nwo wcw like just skipping practice and stuff and how phil was just kind of okay with it so random it's like what are you gonna do like scold the guy when you're trying to get your team focused bench him it's like at that point you've come too far just like whatever. Yeah. Just I think as like long if as it you was can... like a regular season game, maybe even like a regular playoff game, you might have suspended him, but you're kind of like yeah. in the finals, like you need <laughs> you need Dennis Rodman at that point. And I guess if he needs that, then so be it. But I mean, just another another reason why uh Dennis Rodman is so bizarrely awesome or not awesome if you uh don't like him it can go either way he's just a, a unique individual peak hulk hogan though uh hollywood hogan just great love hollywood hogan top notch well then a few later hogan said the n-word <laughs> and had a sex tape oh boy yeah and then uh kim jong-un was uh, best friends with uh Dennis with uh, what a what a life that man has lived to go from like poverty to dating Carmen Electra to being in the NWO to NBA all-star NBA champion yeah 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 um and then foreign being diplomat. our last being our last hope to prevent world war three <laughs> it's insane well uh Cody I think that's it for us here on our last dance recaps episode nine and ten like I said earlier, if you guys want to check out what we thought of the other episodes, uh, you can go into the backlog here at the Movie House YouTube channel and check out what we had to say. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to the Movie uh, Movie House YouTube channel. We're trying to get up in our subscriber base here, and uh, 
me and Cody we're here we're doing podcasts here on the on the channel and stuff like that on the podcast feed so go over there and do podcast check out the podcast as well we'll probably get back to some podcasts we haven't been doing podcasts because we've been doing these YouTube recaps but we'll probably get back to doing something over there as well Ryan and PJ they're doing their thing here as well on the on the channel so check out what they're putting out me and Cody, got a review have, of uh um well, I was gonna say shit stain what's the movie we just watched Capone yeah pretty much uh, a synonym for for that movie but they just put up a review I'm pretty sure of right of Capone so check that out and check out our review of Capone on the real ones podcast feed absolutely you can check it out on apple podcast and google play for right now trying to still get on spotify but yeah we did a capone review over there as well um and then this week me and cody are going to be on the real ones podcast we're going to be talking about tom hardy all of his roles and some of our top five we're going to be doing top five tom hardy roles as well so everyone loves lists absolutely absolutely we love rankings we love lists and stuff so uh, Cody can be found at Cody Pulse at Cody Polson on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Kieran underscore Bergen on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you to everybody who has watched our last dance uh, videos here on YouTube. We really appreciate everybody checking them out and keep on, uh, keep on checking out what's coming. There's more stuff it doesn't end here. So Cody, thank you for joining me along this final dance uh, along the journey. Fuck you, you bitch. Great way to end it. See you guys. <laughs>